Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Hey. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters all of which are available in paperback and ebook, 10 volumes at Amazon. And if you're an Audible fan or an audio buff, you can get volumes 1 through 9 at Audible, iTunes, and uh, Amazon as well. So please go out and buy a dozen copies and give them to everyone in your office. <laughs> And uh, now may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. How about you, Bill? <clears throat> Very good. I went on with uh, Ray Carr on his uh, radio show in Cleveland again today. All right. Uh, Is he a Guardians fan? Uh, I would imagine so, but... Uh, I don't think he's calling them the Guardians, neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come up in the cryptids discussion. Yeah, the Guardians sounds like some uh, Greek god, the Guardian. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, hey, you know, I wanted to touch on it briefly. Uh, have you been catching up with the latest episode of uh, Skinwalker Ranch and Beyond Skinwalker? I have been, and I am really enjoying this season. And, of course, the addition of Beyond Skinwalker. Yeah, I mean, this crazy stuff with the getting the feedback from space on their computers. Like, and Travis says, you know, you're being bugged. You're being listened in on. Right. So, uh, interesting, man. You know, there's a lot going on over there, as per usual. Yeah. I, and I am I am really enjoying this season. I enjoyed last season and the season before, but I really enjoy this show because it feels to me that they're not just uh, doing dramatic editing to mm -hmm. make make it seem like things are happening. You know, it's like every show they do a few experiments. Say they do three, and two two of the three experiments each show show some kind of dramatic results. Yeah, and can picture you and I there, or you and I and three other guys. Uh, one or two of us may be a little uh, dull, but the rest of us are going to be pretty psyched out, as are they, with the results and the things that are happening. Yeah, and by the way, folks out there, our listeners, I'm not that naive. Like, they could be doing 50 experiments and having success with two, but they show us that it's, you know— Two out of three, you know, produced or two out of four produced a result. But that's okay. I mean, it's it doesn't feel like they're staging it for you. And it is entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, but I do I do think there's definitely, definitely something going on out there. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, this 1.6 gigahertz transmission that uh, even this past week, the uh, the experts from out of town, right? The stealth communication experts that came in, they the and and Travis and the gang didn't really tell them about the 1.6 broadcast, and they picked it up on their equipment. Yeah, and then yeah. the fact that like it just seems like there is something over what they call the triangle in the center of the ranch where they were locking in on the space station this week coming across the ranch, and everything went dead when it was right overhead. Yeah. And then after it passed over, being directly overhead, a couple of minutes later, they picked it up again without changing anything. Yeah, and, you know, you've heard them say many times that this band, 1.6 gigahertz, is used explicitly for Earth-to-space and space-to-Earth communication. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I can definitely comment not on that band, but generally every, you know, the all of the major frequencies are regulated, you know, and they have a specific person, purpose, not person. So, so you know, like certain bands of spectrum are regulated and can only be used for our mobile phone communication, you know, yeah. and if you started using them for microwave ovens or something like that, then it would knock our mobile phones out. You know, some yeah. are used for aviation communication, marine communication, you know, et cetera. Police radios, fire department radios. I mean, yeah, yeah. you can't just broadcast on whatever band you want. That's right. And, you know, uh, Travis Taylor had said uh, a month or two ago, uh, you're being allowed to see experiments that we're doing on television but we're not doing the experiments to be on television, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I like Travis a lot, and that's well stated, yeah. Professor now, Travis. Yeah, now you could just take the stand like people do with Bigfoot, that it's all BS, and even that statement is staged. But right. I, I don't live like that. I, I, you know, I have a pretty good gut hunch about a variety of different things. And uh, nothing speaks baloney to me about what they're doing. No, out at Skinwalker, I agree. They, you know, it feels legit. And then when he came back this season, Travis again, where and it turns out that he was working on the UAP task force for the federal government, but he couldn't tell that he couldn't tell the folks at Skinwalker because right. it was you know a uh, some level of secret classification. Right. And now, he, apparently, he he was able to, and he did. He could have shut up about it. Exactly. exactly. He, did, he didn't have to say anything about his involvement. Yeah. He could have yeah. just marched on. But, you know, it definitely shows not only is he a brilliant uh, scientist, um, you know, well-educated rocket scientist, right, astrophysicist, mm -hmm. um, but also involved in uh, some of the stuff going on with federal government. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, all of that stuff is on a need-to-know basis. So we're not saying that he knows everything, but he knows a little. Yeah. Uh, what was that band, Kev? I know a little about it. Leonard Skinner, man. Was it Skinner? I think so. Yeah, I know a little about love, baby. You can guess the rest. <laughs> yeah, I remember that song, man. They had a lot of good tunes for you Southern folk listening in on us. Yeah. Leonard Skinner and Charlie Daniels. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Devil went down to Georgia. He's looking for a soul of steel. <laughs> I know that stuff. I'm an old mountain boy. <laughs> what the hell is that? A wild hog? <laughs> we have a special guest tonight. Really? Who's that? Uh, the hog man? <laughs> Not a hog man, but, but the pig man. Oh, my God, the pig man. That's what we're covering in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. Wow. The pig man <laughs> of Northfield, Vermont. No kidding, man. Yeah. Did the pig man come in from one of our uh, listeners, Kev? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Maybe might have huh. been suggested. So lay it on us, bro. What do we got on this uh, nasty little pig face man? <laughs> <laughs> don't get the pig man mad. He's not the pig face man. He's the pig man. Well, I, I can't. I can't get Porky Pig out of my head. Well, you'll get it out of your head after you hear this. <laughs> what are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> So this comes primarily out of an article in the Herald, which is serving the communities of Vermont's White River Valley since 1874. Well, that's an old paper. Old paper. And this was published uh, just about a year ago. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Didn't happen just a year ago, but this story was written about a year ago. Okay. All right. 
So Northfield, Vermont is just east of Burlington, Vermont. So just east of Lake Champ Lake Champlain, the home of Champ. Okay. Another cryptid that we've talked about before. And you know, I've been up there many times as recently, I think as two summers ago, Bill, right in this area. Okay. And it is very rural. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh-huh. You know, even though you're close to Burlington, which is a nice little city on the lake, once you get out of Burlington, you're riding through these farms and forests. So Yeah, as is most of America. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. You know, yeah. the city slickers think, well, you know, ain't no pig faced man around here. Bill, it's not a pig faced man. <laughs> it's a pig man. <laughs> you better watch out, man. He might be in your yard later. He comes to my yard, it's gonna be on a skewer over a raging fire. <laughs> All right, so set the scene here, Bill. It all started, the legend, on a crisp October evening at Northfield High School's annual annual harvest dance in 1971. Well, so this really, uh, the story being told is not, not old. No, 1971. Wow. I mean, as long as you think that we're not old. Well, I mean, you know, 50 years, right? 52 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, to me, it's not an old story. I thought you were going to pull something out of the 1874 edition of this Herald. No, no. That's where we'll get to the story of Pig-Faced Man. Uh Uh-huh. That you were referencing. (laughs) This is about Pig Man. Not to be confused with Pig-Faced Man. (laughs) So you're back at this harvest dance on a crisp which probably means freezing cold yeah. in Northfield, Vermont, yeah. in 1971. And a gentleman named Jeff Hatch was a junior at the time, and the person writing the story was a freshman. Okay. The sand pit located behind the cemetery was a common gathering spot for students. It was a short walk from school and a perfect place for hiding beer. Okay. Yeah, I could see that, right? This sand I know. Pit. I, I was actually thinking about our high school, Bill. You know, I don't know how it was because you're a few years older than me. But, you know, there used to be that, like, little uh, uh, gully between the school and the tennis courts, kind of. Yeah. That would drop down low into the woods. And when we had dances and stuff, we used to hide beer back there. Oh, no kidding, huh? Yeah. Yeah, once in a while we'd have a little fire back there, too, because you couldn't really see it. Because you were down in this pit. Yeah, it was dark in there, too, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could have been a pig man back there, but we never saw one. (laughs) So anyway, on this particular night, a couple of Hatch's friends left the dance early and headed to the sand pit to grab some beer. When the boys arrived back at the dance, one of them was crying uncontrollably, and the other was so scared he was literally shaking. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, these are high school kids at a dance. You're not seeing that. You know, not a not a typical sight. Yeah. I mean, when your tears are coming down your eyes, that's some uh, heavy emotion, you know. And shaking. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, so go ahead. They, yeah. So she goes on and says, when they finally found their voices, they told their friends that something had come running down the steep sand bank at them. The creature carried itself upright as a man would. It was covered in white hair, and it had the head of a pig. Wow. Yeah. Hatch? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, hard to believe. Yeah, white-haired, covered, cloven foot, head of a pig, charging down this sand hill at them. Was it squealing or screaming or anything? They didn't say anything about what it was doing. Okay. Right? Um, Hatch and a dozen of his friends went back over to the sandpit that night to see it for themselves. And sure enough, something there was evidence that something had charged down the steep sandy bay, bank at a high speed by the looks of the cloven hoof marks sliding down in the sand. Well, now, who who went back there? So Hatch is the guy who was at the dance yeah. with the girl that's writing this story, okay. this account. Right. 
And um, these two other guys came back, and they were so upset. One was crying, one was shaking. And after they came back, they went back to see what was there. At night? Uh, at night? Well, yeah, just right then and there. Wow. Boy, that yeah. took some guts. Well, like 10 of them, too. So, you know, you could see that happening. Yeah, yeah, you get a what bunch of hooligans yeah. together with uh, sticks or bats or yeah. something. Yeah, you know. I mean, they're kids. They're crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take on, we'll take on that pig man. Exactly. I ain't afraid of no pig man. <laughs> Whoa, I might be afraid of a pig man. <laughs> you didn't say he was six feet tall, covered in white fur, growling, and with the head of a pig. <laughs> any description of any tusks or per- no, protruding no. I, horns? You know, or I was thinking it was more like a Muppet. Yeah. All right. So they see the evidence of the pig man. Yeah. And then the story goes on to say the boys weren't the only ones to encounter the pig man. Come to find out, a few days before the boys' encounter, a man living in town had a run in with the creature. Hmm. Hearing his garbage cans rattling and thinking it was probably a raccoon, the Northfield resident went to investigate and came face to face with the pig man. Wow, can you imagine? Ugh. And on another occasion, so here's a third occasion, Hatch told me and his friends found police officers armed with shotguns at the sand pit. They told the boys that they had a report of an unidentified creature of some sort. All kinds of thoughts ran through the minds of the Northfield residents in the fall of 1971. Wow. Now, had this been publicized? This was a a, a a news article of sorts in 71, or they just... I would imagine. I came across it in a couple of different um, publications, uh, Vermont publications. Okay. Yeah. But not, I didn't see it like in a, a newspaper periodical. Okay. I'm not saying it's not there, but yeah. that's not what I came across. Yeah, perhaps some legitimacy to what was going on. I mean, look... If I hear my garbage cans rattling, I figure my neighbor's coming over for a bite to eat. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not expecting to see a pig man out there. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. Oh Especially my. if you're looking for a raccoon uh, and you see a pig man. Whoa. Oh man! I mean, just think about that. That's like, whoa, wow. You know, I'm out in my yard every night. I got like a pet raccoon comes under the bird feed and scrounging around for sunflower seeds. Yeah, well, take a look around for the pig man. Yeah, deer wandering around. You know, I got my neighborhood groundhogs. All I can tell you is if you hear a little, yeah, you might want to head inside. Well, pig man, I'm telling you right now, you want some action, Jackson, you're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, The story goes on, the account goes on, that Hatch and his friends, you know, in the fall of 1971, they were determined to try to solve this mystery of the pig man. Okay. And they said one of the boys had a family camp on Bean Road located off Union Brook Road, again in Northfield. Okay. Um, Across the road from the camp was Bean's pig farm. The boys started spending a lot of time at the camp, so that's across the street from the farm. Right. After dark, they would sneak over to the pig farm, crawl through the fence, and go into the barn with flashlights looking for the pig man. So they're thinking pig farm, maybe they'll find this pig man at the pig farm? Yeah, maybe it's like half man, half pig, so he hangs out with the other pigs. Wow. So here we are, 51 years later, turning the corner to the pig farm, as Hatch tells me with a wave of exhilaration about the massive 600-pound hogs he and his friends would catch in the beams of their flashlights on those nights. Mm -hmm. They didn't find the pig man, but they did find piles of small animal bones. Hmm. Yeah. And Bean's Pig Farm, and get this, Devil's Washbowl Road, made an impression on me the first time I was there. Hmm. My parents used to drive to the pig farm a few times during the summer months in the evening after the cow milking was done. Mm -hmm. There was no house there, 
just a barn with a lot of pigs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't unusual to see pigs out in the field surrounding the barn. It was a creepy setting, especially in the dusk of the evening, although the place possessed an unsettling energy. <laughs> well, you got to honor that stuff, as we always uh, yeah, say. Yeah, we Kevin. talk about that all the time, yeah. right? Yep. When you feel it, it's real. Yep. You just have to recognize it and, uh, and act upon it. Yep. So the author goes on to write, When I was in high school, the pig farm was a popular place for teenagers to go and park. Boys used to tell the story of the pig man in hopes that their girlfriends would snuggle up a little closer. Mm. I met Hatch on a late September day during a streak of uh, uh, unsettled weather. I hadn't seen him in years. We grabbed a coffee at the South Village store and piled into his truck to head for the pig farm. Mm -hmm. Although there were no pigs milling about the farm anywhere, anymore, I'm taken by how the property appears very much as it did years ago. The place still feels eerie. Very little has changed. Hatch tells me a scary story about a couple that was parking at the pig farm one night. The boy left his girlfriend in the car while he went to relieve himself. Something covered in white fur, upright and very strong, grabbed him and threw him up against the car, breaking the side view mirror and leaving evidence in the form of long scratches down the boy's arms. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yep. And after stopping there, they arrived at the base of Devil's Wash Bowl shortly after. A large brook runs down the mountain through a large culvert under the road and continues down through the ravine. When we got out of the truck, it's noticeably colder here. Hatch tells me that most folks don't dare leave the vehicle. I remember the chill from my horseback rides through here, and today is no different. Mm -hmm. The air has a distinct bone-chilling quality to it. I'm dressed ready to hike up to the caves where Hatch and his friends found evidence of the pig man's lair back in the 70s. <laughs> the caves are nearly a mile up the mountain from where we're standing. Hatch, discouraged by my ambition, telling me it's a rugged trek over slippery terrain accessible only by walking through a brook. <laughs> he hasn't been up there in years, not since he and his friends found the cave that was lined with hay for a bed. The boys found no sign of campfires, but they found piles of bones. <laughs> bones that could belong to cats or dogs. It just so happened that during the same time that the pig man was terrorizing Northfield, the local newspaper reported a story about pets also disappearing. Hmm. We've heard that before. Yeah, right? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And on the way back through town, we stopped by the Good Measure Brewery where they brew a beer called Pigman Lives. <laughs> you know, uh, Kev, uh, as I bring, breach this subject yet again, uh, you have a road called the Devil's Washbowl. <laughs> you don't just sit down at a town hall meeting naming some new streets you're going to put into an area and you have a show of hands where people are voting for the Devil's Wash Bowl. Excuse me. Excuse me. I vote for Devil's Wash Bowl. Yeah, I vote too for Devil's Wash Bowl. <laughs> you, you'd have I, wait a minute. I'd like to nominate Satan's Lair. Satan's Lair <laughs> and Devil's Wash Bowl. We have two votes. Anybody else? What about Goat, goat Man Court? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all for it, brother. <laughs> but you see what I'm getting at here? At some point, somebody was looking to make a statement or label that area in a seemingly insignificant way by naming that street the Devil's Wash Bowl. For what reason, I don't know, but that always indicates to me some type of nefarious, demonic activity in that area. What say Check, ye? Check 
Yes. Yeah, you don't just, uh, come on. Would you move on to the street? You just bought your house. You're looking at it. And you drive down the block with the real estate agent. And the sign on the end of the block says, uh, Satan's Headquarters Boulevard. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're oh, what a coincidence! The house number is six six six. Wow, honey, let's buy it. <laughs> I think we should offer more than the asking price. <laughs> I mean, it's so off the charts strange that there has to be something that has gone on there uh, in years gone by that perhaps this. Pig man is legit, but it's not some uh, uh, legit as we know it. Right, right. You know. So so they go on and they say that sightings of the pig man continue to this very day. And in 2015, the television series Monsters and Mysteries in America covered the infamous pig man of Northfield, Vermont. Wow, man. Yeah. Wow. Pretty well, cool. Yeah, well, you know, I've seen some nasty-looking people walking around in the hospital. But You see it like a pig man? But no, nothing I would label the pig man or the <laughs> pig woman. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, man. You, I, I'm telling you, man, uh, you can say what you want. If you ran into that thing, uh, you'd be freaked out, too. One hundred percent. And yeah. you don't know what to do. Everybody thinks of, you know, oh, if I run into that thing, you know, his ass is grass and I'm the lawnmower. Well, oh, I'll make a big slab of bacon out of him yeah. and some pork belly. Yeah. Well, you may be wishing your wheels move faster than they do when that <laughs> event actually happens, because I, I got a pretty good idea you're going to be running as fast as you can. No doubt about it. So, and like you said, Kev, I don't have to be that fast. I just got to be faster than the guy behind me. Woohoo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> ah! <laughs> wow, man, that's pretty incredible. I like it. Yeah. I like that. Uh, you know, when I came across it, I was like, this is pretty creepy. So, speaking of creepy, what kind of account do you have for us this creepy evening? Yeah, well, I'm going to creep you out. Uh, with the, an account that was shared with me by a fellow named Clarence Hayes, uh, a former resident of, guess where, Kev? Vermont. A former resident of the state of Vermont. Wow. Now living in New Jersey. Talk about synchronicity. I just pulled this out of the hat, and you're talking about Vermont, and I'm talking about Vermont. Mm-hmm. So these are the facts about what Clarence and his wife Linda experienced while living in Vermont. Now I got to tell you, if you start coincidentally talking about a pig man, I might have to shut this down. <laughs> it's too much for me, I tell you. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> My brother got me into his WJ. He's some kind of weirdo. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Turns out he just bought a house on Haunted Pigman Lane. <laughs> and he tells me it's synchronicity. Come on. He's got a statue of Porky Pig with fangs. <laughs> so listen to this. Linda and I had purchased a home built in the early part of the 16th century by some of the earliest settlers in our country. It was old and cold, with the original single-pane wavy glass windows, sloping floors, and drafty doors. The bottom of the walls could always find our dog's toy balls on the same side of the house, the floors and house having settled leaning to the east. One of the neatest things about this residence was that it had a working well complete with the overhead winch and bucket, and contained viable and potable drinking water. At that time, I was a political columnist for several well-known publications, with most of my work being mailed in, taking the occasional trip to New York City as needed. Within the first year of our being there, during the summer months, 
We had a local contractor doing repairs on the house, one of which was rebuilding the structure over the well and shoring it up for another 200 years of use. We had a local artisan skilled in barrel making create a new bucket with the newly renovated wellhead. Interestingly, this is how we first had the inkling of some strange activity around the home, a conversation based on what happened surrounding the well. We had been leaving the bucket in what would be a secure locked position at the top of the well filled with water, allowing the wood to swell up, creating an excellent tight seal in the bucket. The contractor, named Nicholas, was the first to clue us in regarding activities surrounding this well, having asked my wife and I how the water tasted. My wife and I looked at each other, saying to Nicholas that we didn't know, having not drunk any of it yet. He looked at us somewhat puzzled, the two of us now learning that he had been keeping an eye on the bucket, making sure it was holding water while working on the house. Why do you ask, I said to him. He said that he had been watching this newly created pail, making sure it wasn't leaking, and each time he looked at it over the past week, it was, in fact, empty. There was a lot of activity going on daily surrounding the house's exterior, with men restoring the windows to a functional state, repairs to the rubble foundation, and a host of other things, all of which while we were living in the home. I thought it a little odd upon first blush hearing about the empty pail, after which it was out of my mind being busy with my work writing 12 hours a day. Several months had passed during this long renovation project, the house having 36 windows alone that were being reworked one by one, when one day the window subcontractor said she saw something odd. Yes, the sub was a woman named Sarah, who specialized in old window and stained glass restoration. She weirdly looked at me as though she was struggling to find the right words, saying she had seen a bear walking on its hind legs in the tree at the back of our lot. She had been working on the house's third floor, from, where, from which there was a clear view of the backyardage. I said to her, Sarah, tell me more. She said there was what appeared to be a giant black bear that she had seen passing through the trees while standing erect on its back legs. After looking out of the windows and seeing nothing, Sarah directing us with her hand as to where she had seen it, we walked downstairs, now getting the crew involved in the conversation. All the men were immediately concerned about a giant bear wandering around outside. Nicholas and one of the other guys, either very bravely or very foolishly, started to look around in the woods, returning to the house with the report of having seen nothing. And that's basically where it all ended. That is to say, until late summer. Located some distance from the house in the rear yardage were two very mature old apple trees that had been bearing fruit for quite some time, that were now coming to maturity. Some of the guys had already been sampling a few of the early ripening apples, saying how delicious they were, with my wife and I following in kind. They were, in fact, sweet, crunchy, and out-of-this-world delicious. If my memory serves me correctly, it was about two weeks later that Nicholas said, So, uh, you guys finally harvested the crop, I see. I looked at him somewhat quizzically. He said, you know, the, uh, the apples, they're gone. I immediately told him quite the contrary <clears throat> and went outside with him to look at the trees. Sure enough, he was right. The trees had been stripped clean of their fruit. Not a single apple left for the picking, 
only the bug-eaten rotten ones left on the ground. At that moment, standing there looking at the remnants on the ground and under disbelief, we saw the first footprints in the soil. A light, somewhat misty rain had been falling for the past couple of days, and the ground was softened in the process, enabling these pristine, gigantic prints to be in the soil. As we looked, there were dozens of them, some being more or less visible in the long grass and soil mix. Nicholas looked me straight in the eye. He said to me, you have a Bigfoot prowling around. I was dumbfounded by his saying so. I wasn't ignorant of this creature, having thought in and of myself the whole notion of its existence to be one glorious hoax. But now, what was I to judge? The tracks were accurate and significant. The apples were all gone. And I was now thinking about the empty water pails from early in the summer. This thing perhaps was regularly in the area, taking advantage of everything available. Now, Linda had not been privy to seeing the prints and the trees devoid of fruit. She was out shopping at the time, and I was not looking forward to delivering this report. We were tens of thousands of dollars into this house remodel, new to the area and virtually not knowing anyone, so to speak. Now with a purported Bigfoot being thrown into the mix. I knew Linda well enough to know that this report would mean the end of us living here. And in my own heart and mind, I could not hold her in any way responsible for whatever thought she may have in this regard. Upon her return home and the two of us having rehashed the evidence, we decided that we would have to sell, and so we did. Bill, I lost a boatload of money during this process. With considerable funds already having been spent, our plan had been to stay in the home for an extended period. But such was not the case. Looking back at this entire scenario as it had panned out, I was completely stupefied by the turn of events. There had been no further sighting of the creature other than when Sarah had reported seeing a large bear walking on his hind legs in the woods. The evidence supporting an entirely different outcome. I have to say that I am now a full-fledged member of the Bigfoot is Real Society, as hard as it is both to say and believe. Everything that I had previously heard and disbelieved involved in its being in the Pacific Northwest region of the country. But in Vermont, this was crazy. I had a certain amount of guilt in regards to the sale of the home after the fact, wondering just what may or may not be happening in our absence surrounding the new homeowners, having bought it in very much the same fashion and never having met the previous owners before we purchased the estate. These things must be quite literally everywhere. But how could this be? I realize that in Manhattan, this is a joke, a myth, a non-entity fabricated in the minds of many pranksters around the states and the world. But this thing is alive and well, and living in Vermont, and who knows where else. What do you think of that, Kev? And he's friends with the pig man. Wow. I'm telling you, man. Man, that's a cool account. Man, they love them apples, don't they? Well, it, it just anything loves apples. I love apples. I, I love apples, too, and you look a little bit like a hairy man. I am a freaking hairy man. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, really, Kev, all of the creatures, even the squirrels, jump up in the tree and chomp on apples or peaches or anything, pears. No, no doubt about it. I mean, it's delicious. Fruit is delicious, sure, right? Sure. Birds peck at them. 
Yeah. You know, everything out there, ants eat them, Bigfoot, yeah. bears, you know. So yeah. it's no stretch uh, that a Bigfoot, especially a creature with hands. Well, then this, uh, this well, right? So the well's been there since the 1600s. Yeah. You know, it's like a it's like a wild animal watering hole, right? Well, if you can operate the well off, the bucket is left half full at the top most of the time. Yep. Uh, even if the bucket was left up when they bought the house, it would have a certain amount of rainwater in it, perhaps. Maybe. So, you know, it's a catch-all, a little catch basin. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. But, uh, Creepy story. <clears throat> and, uh Having to sell the house, that's unfortunate, but understandable. Uh, not the first story I have about couples selling their home. No. Yeah. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, wasn't the last one, didn't they sell their home with the steel door in the kitchen? Yes, yes. I'm just thinking about that now. That, and I think it was on Devil's Cauldron Lane. <laughs> yeah. Devil's Cauldron Lane Part 2. <laughs> uh, so, you know... Uh, again, synchronicity, last week and this week, we had two people basically getting rid of the home uh, based on Bigfoot activity. Jeez. So uh, I, I tell you, I wouldn't be hanging out, man. Some of these people would. Oh, great. Yeah, I live in a haunted house. Oh, well, I'm not afraid. Yeah. Yeah, you're not afraid. What's that? Good st- for you. What's that stain in your underwear I saw in the washing machine? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. The pig man sliding down the sand pit, chasing after the kids. Yeah, baby. Bring on the pig man. You know. All right, Bill, it is time because we talked about a pig man sliding down the sand mill. It's time for us to uh, dive into some listener mail. Okay. (laughs) Hopefully there's no relationship. No. <laughs> um, so the first mail comes in from Kimberly. And Kimberly is from Pennsylvania. Okay. And she writes, Hello, WJ and KJ. Greetings from the foothills of the Laurel Mountains, the Chestnut Ridge region of southwestern Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. My husband and I are avid listeners of your podcast. At an age of 58 and 59, we grew up watching The Legend of Boggy Creek, and get this, Bill, and visiting the mall when the frozen Bigfoot was there. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that story? Yep, yep, I do. So here's another person that saw the frozen Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. We never got to see that, Bill. No, I didn't even know it was available. Yeah, our parents didn't tell tell us about that one. I thought the frozen Bigfoot was a treat sold sold on the bungalow bar ice cream truck. <laughs> I'll take a frozen might, Bigfoot. It might have been. <laughs> I hope I get the prize. Yeah, you know, when you eat the Bigfoot's head, there's a little thing in there that tells you what you won. <laughs> Only sometimes. Other times you get your head ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she's talking about visiting the frozen Bigfoot in the mall. Our town is just a few miles from the famous UFO crash site of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Regular Bigfoot and UFO reports are normal to us. As a matter of fact, the nationally known expert Stan Gordon lives just down the road. And my friend and neighbor... Mary Ann, a former true crime writer and current Catholic interest author, annually reports Stan's findings. Mm-hmm. To me, you all seem like you should be acquainted. While we've never seen a Sasquatch, we have seen a UFO in Mexico, and it was quite unsettling. Mm-hmm. Should you ever want an introduction, please let me know. Until then, we will keep ourselves intrigued with the podcast on our nightly spooky drives and even laugh a lot at your brotherly shenanigans. <laughs> I don't carry guns, even the ones I might need, <laughs> as I can't hit the broadside of a barn. But I'd pepper spray the heck out of, out of any black-eyed kid. Stay squatchy, Kimberly. <laughs> now, by the way, Kev, this is the same Kimberly that I announced on the last podcast that oh. I couldn't get through to her on the phone number she left. Oh, okay. So, Kimberly, if you're listening again, get back to me 
Make sure you leave me a good area code and a phone number to get you because I dialed the one that you left and uh, it was no good. Ah. But uh, interesting, you know, Kev, interesting. Uh, did we ever talk about that Kecksburg UFO incident? We didn't. I wrote it down here because yeah. yeah. I like the sound of it. Yeah, it's very interesting. So uh, we'll make a point of... Uh, Snooping around about that and uh, bringing it back to the light of day. Yes, yes. Plenty of creep going on. All right. And our next uh, email comes in from Carol. Uh, Carol doesn't say where she's from, but the subject is scream slash roar in the woods. And she says, have you guys ever heard this? I just had a family member send it to me. Best Sasquatch scream I think I've ever heard. And she writes, I always carry more gun than I think I'm going to need. But regardless, I'm with this. When I'm with this guy, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> Kemp, did you listen to it? I did. And I reported on this one in the yeah. past, folks. Yeah. This is that YouTube video is fairly famous of the mushroom hunter. Right. And uh, it turns out that it was a complete hoax. They, inter- they, they investigated it on one of these shows. Right. Um, on History Channel, and they found, they actually sampled the sound, and it was the same sound as, like, a a fictional dinosaur show. Yeah. Yeah, so, totally fake. Sorry, Carol, but the sound is darn impressive, but again, another darn hoaxster. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, they're trying to attract attention uh, to get likes or whatever on their video and uh, uh, it, it was impressive. Uh, kudos to the guy the way he did it. It was well done. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, but a hoax. Yeah. Not helping the cause. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, All right. And Tim writes in in our next letter. And Tim is from Connecticut, across the sound from you, Bill. Yep. And he says, I just listened to your latest show. Love your podcast and listen every week. Just a quick note on the deer flies that Kevin was talking about. I'm in Connecticut, and we have tons of deer flies, but ours are not very big. About the size of a normal house fly, they look like little fighter jets and have distinctive stripes, like any good fighter jet would. (laughs) But boy, oh boy, can they leave a welt that can itch for days. That being said, we also have horse flies, which are twice the size and also bite like hell. Yeah. But wait, we're not done. We also have elephant flies. Ah. At least that's what we call them. No kidding, these things are gigantic, about the size of my thumb and gray in color. Thank goodness I've never been bitten by one of those, but the deer flies are very tenacious and they won't stop until they bite you. So, uh, you know, by the way, Tim, so your elephant fly is like our deer fly. And when I got bit, I've only been bitten by one once, but I actually had to go to the doctor the next day. No kidding, Kevin. Yeah, my uh, ankle was swollen up like crazy. And that was when I was out uh, in a boat in the marsh on the Cape Fear River bringing in some uh, gigantic red drum. You remember I sent you those pictures, Bill. That- so, Kev, let me get this straight. Your deer flies are like the size of like a queen bee or something? Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And they are nasty. I, I just I can't believe it. What do yeah. they sound like when you hear them flying? You know, well, the sad part is you don't even hear them. Mm. Like, I didn't even hear it. The thing was biting my leg, and not to get too graphic, um, like I smacked it to get rid of it. I was a little late, and then I had blood running down my leg, from my, and it was my blood. Wow. Yeah, this thing's biting. What freaking vent- Might be a form of cryptid. Yeah, vampire flies. Exactly. Boy, that's freaking creepy. Yeah. And our last email comes from Chuck. Hi, Bill and Kev. I've really grown to enjoy your podcast. I guess he means like he hated it in the beginning? or <laughs> He probably saw our pictures. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> My dear wife gave me some night vision goggles, and I intend on spending time in the Sam Houston National Forest. I know, Bill, not just night sightings. Uh-huh. <laughs> One FYI, a nice lady mentioned Dixie Cryptids podcast. I agree that Cameron on the Dixie Cryptid podcast is pleasant to listen to, 
but he has no hesitation using some really raunchy language. Mm. So I'd not recommend it for kids or people whose ears burn easily. So I figured I'd put that out there. Nothing against uh, Dixie Cryptids, but, you know, you you know, be careful if you're listening to it with the kitties or if you don't want that kind of language. And you'd rather just hear... <laughs> now, what did he say about his, his wife, his dear wife? What? She gave him some night vision goggles. Oh, oh. So he oh. could go out looking for Bigfoot. Now, see, I... I'm reading into this a little bit. I think what happened was he was handed these here night vision goggles. Standing in the living room, all the lights went out in the house. And then he heard a 12-gauge pump ratchet a shell into the chamber. (laughs) What do you think? I don't want to hear how this story ends. Well, I can't tell you how it ends, (laughs) Uh, but uh, that's my understanding. By the way, you're sounding a little bit like Foghorn (laughs) Leghorn. Now, what you... uh, I say, I say, (laughs) you little chicken hawk. I say that you're a chicken, not a hawk. Foghorn like one. All right, Bill. Good podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for those five-star five star reviews. Keep them coming. And thank you for a lot of those written uh, five-star reviews people have given us. I was reading them the other night, and they are fantastic. And they're a nice shot, shot in the arm for Bill and I after uh, a couple of long days at the day job. So thanks for uh, giving us the positive reinforcement. Yeah. Thank you very much, folks. We always appreciate it. Uh, We like bringing you this content, and uh, we hope you enjoy it as much as we do. And by the way, should you find yourself walking through the woods of Vermont, maybe after skiing, maybe after a canoe ride in the lake during the summer months, you best remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>